Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the Grounded Pixie Dice Set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about taking the plunge into DMing. Today we're talking to Haley Fox and Morgan Shandro. How's it going? Good, how are you? Great. Doing well. Sean, how are you? Um, better. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a bad week. Better is always good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess first off, um, how did the two of you get into tabletop? Uh, let's, let's start with Haley. Um, I started way back in grade nine in high school. Um, a friend of mine, he invited me to play, and back then I kind of had the, the the stigma of like, oh, D&D? Isn't that like a nerd's game? But I went and I tried it, and the very first fight we got into, I exploded a spider, and I think I got hooked from that point on. <laughs> My paladin just blew it up, and it was such a great experience, so that's kind of where I started. I actually think, I counted the other day, I think it's been 10 years since I've been playing. Nice. Because my first set of dice is about that, that age, so. Yeah. All right, and, and Morgan? Wow, well, it hasn't been 10 years. Uh, I think, well, I saw my little brother play 4th um, edition when he was 12 or so, but the, I didn't get into that really. I just, I wanted to, but he didn't really know how to DM very well because he was like a kid, and I was too. I just wanted to... He had like a bunch of these figurines and I wanted to be the one that had wings, but you couldn't be that class. It was like a NPC. So I was like, fine, I don't want to play. But then uh, after I graduated animation school when I was 22 years old, uh, I met a group of friends who one of them was a DM. He uh, did a lot of different games because he worked at a game store. So he invited a group of girls uh, at the party that I met him at uh, who had never played D&D before to give it a try. And then... We played a couple games. Uh, they mostly devolved into chaos, and um, there were like cat fights about um, the paladin's boyfriend, who was a prince, dating the other sorcerer behind their back. Um, so I thought, I think that was sort of like the point where I got really hooked on it. Um, that game didn't last very long, but it sort of sparked the interest for me to try and seek out other games elsewhere. Awesome. I think uh, it's great hearing like how people get into this because you get similar and varied answers like i know part of the reason i came back was i was like i can make a character who's like anything i can make a character based on magus from chrono trigger okay <laughs> yeah and for me it was just i had a bunch of story ideas and i knew i'd wanted to play for the longest time and then the beginner's box for fifth edition came out and i'm like ah, fuck it i'm gonna buy the box and just find i'm gonna grab people off the street if i have to and shove them into a room and we're gonna play D. &D. yeah because <laughs> a lot for a long time you were kind of adjacent to groups of people who played but never really got to join in right yeah yeah that's unfortunate anyway taking the plunge into dming i think it's kind of a good place to start how yeah. how did you two start dming um i started back in my second year of college uh i hadn't played since high school my friend group kind of splintered after we all graduated and i just really badly wanted to play again 
Um, but no one wanted to take the plunge. No one wanted to be the DM because it kind of came with a lot of work. But not a lot of work. It was just, no one really wanted to do the storytelling part. Everyone wanted to play. So it's like, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'm just, just going to jump in and do it. My first game was an absolute disaster. I decided I wanted to have all of my friends play. So it was eight players. But we had a lot of fun. And after that, I was just kind of like, I want to keep doing this. I want to keep exploring the ideas that I have and just keep seeing where I can go and like different friend groups and different player groups and see how like they all mingle and such. So that's kind of how I got my start. Cool. And Morgan? Yeah. Well, I have Haley to thank mm-hmm. for making me DM. Um, it's sort of a long, she played the long con on me where first she became my friend because we both worked it was at all the planned. yeah, so we we met at an animation studio. We were both working as animators on My Little Pony. We sat back to back, but we didn't really talk because we were on different teams. But then one day, she saw me walk into work with my player's handbook because I had D and D later that night. And then I think you just messaged me, and you were like, "Oh, you play D and D too? Wow!" And then we just started talking, and then became friends. And then a while after that, uh, I think I posed the idea for you to. DM a one shot because I knew you were a DM and DMs are very coveted as you know um, with a couple of other other friends and that turned out to not be a one shot it turned into an a year and a half long game that we're still playing together yeah. and then over that time talking about D&D at work she was just slowly planting the seeds like oh but maybe you could try sometime and I'm like well I don't know I don't know if my improv is that good uh, it's a lot of work you know and then she's like oh but you could do it and then she started sending me all these resources and tips and stuff and readings on how to be a DM and I'm like oh this is cool maybe I could and she's like you should you should it's like fine I guess I will it's <laughs> <laughs> actually A similar story to how I met somebody who's a good friend of mine now is I was working at an animation studio um, as a like tech person and he's a TD and I can't quite remember how I found out that he played but like I ended up starting running a game at work with the beginners box and then with a couple of others and he's now in my regular D&D group. (laughs) So yeah I just thought it was funny that like animation studio like because I I know from him that he's at a different studio now. He's um, working at a VFX place now, not an animation studio. But it sounds like there's a bunch of D&D going on where he works now. And a lot of people that I know from Twitter and stuff who are in the animation world seem to be like, it's, I don't know what it is about, well, actually, it's it's the creativity of D&D. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what it is. But I just find it interesting that, like, that the the idea of, like, that whole thing of like, oh, I didn't know that that you played as well. Well, we should play together sometime. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's that the idea that like what you said when you were first learned about D and D. Like, oh, isn't it that nerdy thing? Like, even when you've been into D and D for a while, you still think like, oh, I shouldn't ask this person. They're gonna think I'm a total nerd. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, they've got a player's handbook. Oh, I'm fine. I can ask yeah. them. If I know. For the longest time, too, actually, like when I was graduating from uh, college, I had a dice. My friend had like drilled holes through a bunch of D20s, and they're hanging off our phones. And we had our industry day, and I brought my phone in with me to this interview. And they're like, "Oh, you play Dungeons and Dragons?" And it was a great icebreaker for the interview for the job. And I was like, it was just so cool. Immediately, the connection that I had with these people that, like, even just just the dice was enough of an indicator that, like, oh, we have something in common we can talk about. I remember my like. 
we're doing intro to how we became DMs, so I guess it's my turn. Um, <laughs> um, so I had been playing with a long-standing group for a long time, and they had been bugging me for years to try running. And then when 5th edition came out, I finally was like, okay, I'm going to do it, which was a mistake because I started before all the books were out, which <laughs> made my, it a lot more work. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how I kind of started. Um, I think it's really interesting. You mentioned the, like, you see so many people who work in animation studios who, who play D&D, and, I, and I, you see it in comics, too. And I, I think it's something to do with just the fact that, like, it is a creative outlet that, uh, unless you're making a show out of it, isn't work. Right, it's it's a thing you can do for fun that's still creative, which can be hard when you know, like you know, I know Haley spends my my sorry, my wife's name is also Haley, uh, <laughs> spends a lot of time working on comics or illustrations. It's like a different creative thing that you can do. And for somebody like myself who know draw good, it's a great creative outlet because I can just. I can imagine something and then not have to freak out about, like, I have no idea how to get this out onto a piece of paper or onto a computer. <laughs> I can just describe it with words, yeah. and my players are like, that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when you stop worrying about making maps. <laughs> yes. It's also a creative outlet that you also can spend your social time doing. I mean, you're hanging out with your friends, too. It's not just working alone in your home studio drawing comics, which I do sometimes, but then I get really lonely and sad, so... It's nice to have the sort of team teamwork aspect of, oh, we're all in this sto- together making this story. Yeah. So something that I've been hearing a lot from, from Jesse and from yourselves is that encouraging friends to DM, and I've seen it a lot online as well, like people saying, like, I want to take a break from DMing, or just there's a group of people who want to play, but nobody is willing to take that first step. And how... Like, you guys are a good example of, like, encouraging your friend to, like, pick up the dice and start DMing. Uh, What kind of tips do you have for friend groups of people who want to get into, like, D&D, but none of them are like, ah, you should DM. Not me. I can't DM. No, you should DM. Like, how do you guys get somebody over that initial hump of just being the DM? One of my main methods is just do it and repeating that (laughs) a lot. But um, I think... Showing them that it's not a hurdle to overcome. It's not, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Like, you don't have to have a giant story and a giant map and all these characters planned out. Your first game can be as simple as a town and some goblins and something happens. And then you can just go from there. So I think one of the things I sent um, Morgan when we first started was uh, Matthew Mercer um, and... uh, Geek and Sundry did, like, this whole series about, like, starting DMing and stuff like that. So I think that was a good icebreaker. And then um, Matthew Colville, both Mets, uh, he had, like, a whole thing of running the game. And I kind of sent both of those playlists over to Morgan. And I sent them to a few other friends, too. And I think that was, like, a good way of showing that you don't have to have this giant thing planned out. You just have to start small and then work up. Um, and something I want, from there. Well, I want to interject with is... If you are thinking about getting into DMing, start small. Don't do what I did and build an entire goddamn world. I did the same thing. I built a world with like 2,000 years of history and all sorts of stuff. And after doing this podcast for a while, it's like, oh, that was the wrong way to do things. I I absolutely encourage players when they first start start DMing, you don't need everything. Because I did the exact same thing when I was back in college. It's like, oh, I need the world and these races and these empires. And how do they, how does all this social stuff interact? And what is the money like? And just trying to do all of this work. And at the very end, it's half the stuff they didn't even touch. 
Yeah, when all you need is just a small town with like maybe five named NPCs and some goblins and and then the goblins attack and they steal some stuff and the town wants you to get it back. Yeah. yeah. The first game I ever DM'd after Haley finally convinced me to was a wizard's tower that they were locked inside of, so they couldn't leave. They only had to fight the monsters I gave them. Their whole uh, objective was to leave the tower, so that worked out well because it was like a bottle episode. Um, I, I only had to plan the stuff inside the tower. I wasn't worried about, oh, what if they travel over here? I haven't prepared that yet. It's like, there's only one way to go up. I have to do it. I wish I had done something like that when I first DM'd because initially I was supposed to be co-DMing with my friend and he lasted one session and then was like, I think you have it. I think you got this. I'm gonna I'm just gonna roll up a character Betrayal. and I'll start I think I think he was I think this was his plan yeah. all along on reflection. Um, just to like get me to start doing it. I mean he helped he helped me build this whole world, but then I was like, Oh yes, uh, there's all this overland travel and all this other stuff I have to add and I'm like, I wish I had just like run a tower where I could just throw them some monsters and do some skill challenges just to Mm -hmm. kind of practice everything before trying to build that in a expanded world and now I just like barely know what happened last week in my (laughs) my campaigns I don't need to know the history yeah I it's one of the reasons that I think like the beginner's box was a good place for me to start because as somebody who like I can pick up a rule book and just like read through the entire thing and be like i think i know how this works but it happens every time i buy a new board game where the first game i'm like oh wait i mm," and like go and page through the rule book whereas with the beginner's box like they slowly introduce things bit by bit like they start off with okay here's how you do a perception check because there's some hiding goblins and like like bit by bit they introduce all of these pieces so that by the end of the first session like they've kind of gotten you through the basics of like okay here's you know an ambush and then some combat and tracking some stuff down like it's not a like okay you're in the middle of a civil war and like all this crazy stuff is happening it's fairly straightforward Mm -hmm. and i think there's probably tons of like if you don't want to start with a beginner's box there's probably tons of one shots out there but oh yeah finding the thing that i found when i go online and try to find a specific type of content is like there's too much almost now so much Mm -hmm. yeah and it, I think something that happens with that is like, um, you know, you, you go on to maybe DM's Guild, which is where I get all my one shots. And you're like, okay, well, I will look for the quality ones. Where, what are the like the best selling ones? And then you kind of have a bunch of people running the same set of one shots over and over again, which is fine. But it, it kind of leads to repetition and makes it harder to find like somebody who maybe wrote a small one that maybe wasn't successful or seen by anybody, but is still really good. Uh, I think this actually kind of brings us to something you guys can had wanted to talk about, which is how you don't really need everything to start DMing. Um, so do you want to, do you want to talk on that a bit? Um, yeah, I think one of the things that, um, kind of hit me a bunch was like, oh, I need all these minis. I need all these books. I need all these things. It's, you, you really don't. One of my games, um, my players were on a giant pirate ship and they were getting attacked by this Kraken and I didn't have a Kraken miniature, but on my, uh, shelf on my TV, I had the guardian from Zelda and I just used that as the Kraken, and I had it holding, because you could, like, pose the arms. So I had it holding <laughs> the player characters, and that was my mini. It's, you can really, you can make anything you want and need kind of out of what you have around the house. And um, I don't think, like, you, you, again, you don't need, like, the whole story. And music, half the time, I just go on YouTube and, like, look up ambient sounds for forest. And then, like, that is the sounds I've got for the game. Like, you don't even really need music. It's and- You often don't even need maps a lot of the time, yeah. or minis. Um, a lot of the fights that we've played in 
your game that you DM for me is just theater of the mind, where you're like, you're about 30 feet away, what would you like to do? I guess I run up and attack them. Yeah, um, most of the time we, we play at work after hours, so lugging everything from home to work, it, it's a lot on my back, so half the time, yeah, theater of the mind works really well, so. Yeah, and I think when I started DMing, I didn't have the Dungeon Master's Guide. I only had the Player's Handbook, and I, I had played for a number of years, so I had a good grasp on like the basic rules of the game and fighting, but I, I never actually read the whole rule book from like start to finish. It just I sort of, <laughs> I just started playing and then the DM would sort of guide me on the rules that I did, needed to know at the time. And I sort of picked it up from there. And then when I started DMing, I was like, okay, maybe I need to know what happens, like the t rules of what a turn is and all the different actions you can do instead of just like the ones that are relevant to my character. And like, Spell casting. I, I never played spellcasters, so I didn't really know the rules of magic very well. So then I finally read up on that. But you sort of you learn as you go. I think you don't need to like have the rules memorized before you start. And I think that's one of the things with with the rules and the way that you know there's there's a ton of different classes and spells and attacks and all of the things that go into all the different classes and items and everything and. Asking the DM to be the person who knows how all of that works, to just have it in their head, I think that is probably part of what intimidates people about mm -hmm. becoming a DM. When at the end of the day, you don't need to know any of that. Like if you've got a, if you don't know how magic works very well, then either just tell your players like, hey, maybe we don't use magic in this one. Or if a character really wants to play a druid or a cleric, like. If they know how it all works, then you just offload all of that to them. Yeah, yeah. I just get my players to read out the spell card uh, to me when they want to cast a spell. And then after I hear the rules, then I decide on what's possible. And I think it's a little it. up to the players to know like what their character needs to do. Because, yeah, the DM, you can't, you can't know all of that information. Like Sometimes um, when I'm DMing, someone looks at me like, can I do this? And I'm like... I have no idea. How about we do this? And I kind of talk it through with them and we come to like kind of a common ground and we agree on something and then maybe I'll go look it up after the game or I'll ask, ask them to look it up. But half the time it's just kind of like, huh, I don't know. Let's do this. And then we kind of work it out from there. So I'm a lot more loosey-goosey on the rules yeah. in that regard. But That's how I prefer to approach rules talk at that table too because like I have... I've been at games where you've sat for an hour and argued over rules, like before I started DMing, and now that I've started, I'm like, no, I don't. No, Fun for no, everyone. No, no, we're gonna make a decision, and we're gonna yeah. go, and I can look it up later, or you can look it up later and tell me, or you can look it up while we move on or mm -hmm. something. But like, you know, at this point, you know, I, I'm, you know, we're we're adults. I can't put a whole days aside to play D and D with my friends anymore. So it's like we have three hours to play. I'm not. I'm not wasting time looking up rules. Mm -hmm. I have enough problems remembering what the monsters I've got in this fight do. I'm not right? going to keep track of all your shit. Yeah. Um, and, like, I, I think there's a place to, um, like, remember that, like, maybe your players don't know all, how everything works necessarily. And, you know, it's fine if they ask you after looking it up. But, like, I for me, it wouldn't be acceptable for a player to be like, I don't know what any of my stuff does. It's like, mm -hmm. just, just, just read it. And then and make like try and make a judgment call. And if you still don't understand, yeah, let, we'll figure it out. But yeah. if you, I feel like if you don't know it, you're leaving it up to me, and then I get the final call kind of deal because yeah. I've got to make sure that it's all running. So it's it's an interesting kind of balance to share with the players. Yeah, something that uh, speaking of knowing things, and you brought up uh, sending a bunch of resources using um, Matt Colville and uh, Matt Mercer, and something I wanted to ask is like. 
when she sent all of these resources of these like two really famous uh well i don't know how famous famous they are (laughs) but when you did you watch like after you watch some of these playlists of like oh here's how you can run the game here's how you can you know create npcs and all this stuff did you watch any of critical role and be and did that influence like your thoughts on what a dm needs to do oh well i had watched critical role before Haley started sending me the stuff so i knew who matt mercer was i didn't know matt colville um so his videos i think the first one you sent me was the run your first game like the dealing in mine with the goblins um yeah, so I'd already been influenced. I wanted to, you know, be like Matt Mercer and have like this great world with all these cool stuff. But I knew I had to start small, so I knew I wasn't gonna be that right away. Um, and I think Matt Colville's um, video on how to start your first game was really helpful in just breaking it down into like the bare minimum of stuff that you need to think about at a time. Um, and then it made it seem more manageable. And then you know, critical roles like shoot for the stars, you land on the moon, sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, because it's, it's something we were talking about before we started recording was, you know, people who get into D&D thinking that they've got to be like critical role or they've got mm-hmm. to be like, you know, there are quite a few actual plays out there now, like podcasts or on YouTube or like the Adventure Zone. Mm-hmm. And and like, what are your what would you tell somebody who wants to get into DMing, having seen Critical Role, having seen Adventure Zone? And what would you tell them like in order to like, tamp down their expectations of what their <laughs> game is going to be like oh that's a tough one um i would probably just say watch it all love it all enjoy it all it's not always going to be like that it, every every game every group every session you're going to have it's all going to be different it's all going to be like a different experience to tackle and some games are going to be better than others some games are going to be less fantastic but i think it's just one of those things where you have to just kind of go at it and see what happens and don't have your expectations high but kind of just go with the flow and enjoy what's happening um i feel like that's not very tied down um no i that makes sense to me the idea that like you know some people might feel that they have to do certain things because like you know uh, critical role they all do voices so all we've got to do voices like well no if you don't feel comfortable doing that then you don't have to mm-hmm. or you know matt colville uh from what I've seen, like, I haven't been watching any of his streams recently, but, like, but he's done, like, the videos that he was putting out, like, there's a lot of world building in there. Mm-hmm. It's, like, he is a writer. Like, he's written for video games. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's got the skill and experience to be able to just, like, quickly bang out an entire, well, I don't know how quickly, but to bang out an entire world and have it be mostly logically consistent. He's been making that world for, like, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And there's that, too. And, you know... Like we were saying before, like you don't have to start with a giant world. You can just start with, like, here's a small town. Yeah, yeah. I think it, a good thing, too, is um, of some of Colville's advice is steal things that you like and use it for your own. Obviously, if you're going to, like, try to make profit off of it or put it out online, make sure you're either crediting or getting the rights to such things so that you're not, you know, infringing and whatnot. But um, I think, because I, I do it all the time with some of my games. If I see something I really like, I'm like, oh, how can I kind of put that in my own world and stuff so like you don't have to reinvent the wheel you can like maybe dark crystal is an example like oh this is kind of cool and do are there parts of this that i really like could i take that and use that in my game sure why not yeah my world that i started my first campaign dming is just the witcher and skyrim combined it's fine nice. my current... i'm not <laughs> oh. no 
Yeah, like I'm not streaming it, so I don't care if I'm yeah. stealing parts of it. My world is literally uh, set in the real world, and I'm like, mm. I'm going to just... This is just going to be Persona, but d and <laughs> I'm just... Yeah, that's just what it's going to be. We'll just do that. That sounds really cool. Yeah. It is really fun, and if you want, I will tell you about it after we're done recording. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think that actually also comes to a point that's really important, kind of related to what we're saying, is like... Your home game is not the same as a game that's an actual play or, you know, broadcast on Twitch or whatever. Like, you're not in front of microphones. You're not entertaining an audience. You're, you're playing with your friends. And sometimes when you're just playing with your friends, the best way to approach things is not the way you would approach running a show. Because you're there to have fun and play a game. You're not necessarily there to entertain people who aren't actually watching. Yeah, um, and that's why, like, stealing things is totally fine if it's just your home game. It takes the pressure off of you to do like if you can just take something from something you like then you don't have to come up with it yourself that's a lot less work on your part and then it makes it more likely you actually want to keep dming instead of being like oh i have to spend five hours preparing for this game i guess i will but uh, how much longer can i keep this up i don't have all the time in the world so kind of yeah. building off the borrowing too is um i the group of friends we all play with like we're all friends from work so i know what they like so kind of I can take stuff from things I know that they really enjoy and yeah. kind of aspects <laughs> that they have fun with, and I can kind of pot it into the game here and there, and I can see their eyes light up when they realize, like, oh, I really like this thing, and this is happening. So it's kind of a satisfaction that I get when I see stuff happening with uh, characters and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also, I just like telling Haley, I'm like, oh, my character, like, is feeling this way about this thing, and... It'd be, like, really funny if... This, like, I'm, I'm not, like, trying to write your game for you, but I'm, like, I sort of give you, like, options for, like, what you could throw at her that would give a good reaction, and then you do, and then I have that reaction. <laughs> I find that so helpful as a DM mm-hmm. when a player is like, I want... Like, I'm interested in these things happening. It's yeah. like, yeah, you have partially done some of my work for me. Yeah, it's... It depends on, like, the group you're DMing for, because if it's just a group who wants to just fight monsters and then call it a day, that then you write a certain sort of story for them. But if it's, like, a group who loves role-playing and, like, uh, inter-party banter and just, like, causing shenanigans and a lot of, like, not fighting, but, you know, like, socialization sort of role-playing aspects, then you write something totally different. And it yeah. helps to know what they like for that. The group that I'm running for right now, it's two people who went to school for archaeology and somebody who really likes Final Fantasy and Monster Hunter. So they're in a world, like the part of the world that they're in right now is ancient ruins and giant bugs and monsters <laughs> and stuff. Nice. nice. That's your island train game, right? Yep. Nice. They uh, just found out about a, a giant wasp creature that uh, uh, we actually uh designed kind of on a previous episode with somebody who's an ent- entomologist yes yeah we were talking about like building monsters and stuff and one thing though that i wanted to touch on when because we're talking about like bar well borrowing in huge quotes yeah. <laughs> stealing uh <laughs> content from like tv shows and stuff like that is that burnout is a real thing and i think that's something that new dms don't realize is because i think when at least for me, when I first got started, I was so excited about like, oh, I've got all these ideas. And I like, th- that's part of the reason that I ended up with this whole world was I was so excited about being able to get all this stuff out of my head and show it off to my players. But the thing is, is that if you're trying to come up with everything yourself and you're not relying on like, oh, like I really like Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm going to wholesale steal the plot from that mm-hmm. means that you have to come up with the plot yourself. And 
it's a real like burnout is such a real thing because I actually had to end my first campaign early because I just couldn't keep going and I basically took what was meant to be like the second to last boss and just made him the last boss Mm. because I'm like okay you guys killed the lich and everything's done now cool he saved the country great I'm gonna not play for like three (laughs) months now thanks yeah, I think it's really important not to bite off more than you can chew at first, because um, that kind of happened to me recently, even though I've been doing it for a while, is I had I had five games in a row one week, and by the end of it, all of them were great. I had so much fun. I played in two, and I DM'd in three, and I homebrew all of my stuff, so I've got to write it all out, so I'm not kind of pulling from modules or anything, so... But by the end of that week, I kind of looked at my boyfriend and I'm like, I don't want to look at D&D again for, like, a month, because <laughs> it was just... It was so much all at once, and I think it's important to realize that you don't you don't need D and D every week, maybe every other week or once a month, because it sometimes it can just get to be too much, and then it almost I I could feel myself starting to resent the game, and I never want to feel like that because this game has gotten me friends, it's gotten me like like uh, just it's helped me meet people, um, just a whole bunch of things, and I didn't want to I did not want that seed to start rooting that I don't want to play this game this week because I'm just so tired. So I think understanding limits and burnout and taking time off is important. Yeah. Well, and I know from, I also had kind of a DM burnout experience and I know from experience when you keep trying to push it when you're feeling burnt out, other people stop enjoying your game too mm. because they can they can pick up on the fact that you're kind of miserable and then you start kind of making them miserable. And it's just, it's better to like look at your stuff honestly and go, you know what, I'm tired, like, you know, I work's been hard. I need to dedicate time to this. I need to stop. Can someone else run, or can we, you know, come back to it in a month or whatever? Right? Yeah, that goes back to what we were talking about and encouraging new DMs. Is if you're the DM and you're starting to feel burnt out, maybe encourage one of your players to take up the mantle for a little bit and try DMing or running a one shot or something. I mean, I personally don't. I haven't yet anyway. I haven't gotten burnt out by being a player. I know it was something you were feeling, but then I feel fine playing. So if that happens, you could just be the player in one of their games or you could just sit out of it and watch because uh, that's something Haley did also. If you still want to hang out with your friends but don't actually want to worry about playing the game, you can just be on the sidelines. Um, Works out too. Yeah. Um, So I think we've gotten through most of our kind of like getting people into DMing and stuff like that. Um, you mentioned that you two mentioned that you wanted to talk about a bit about your approach to world building and whether or not you like kind of build it out like pre-thought ahead of time or kind of improv it. So um, which of you would like to start? Maybe Morgan. <laughs> sure. Um, well, like I mentioned, my current game that I'm DMing, I've, I haven't been DMing that long. I think, when did we start? Was it? A couple months ago. Yeah, it was... Um... I think in April or no, not April because I was away in April. March, but then anyway, it's not been that long, like half a year or so. But um, I started off with the idea of, of my world where I wanted it to um, sort of evoke the same feelings that I got from playing Witcher and Skyrim, which is like a vast open world that has a lot of really cool, um, you know, creatures and magic stuff. But I also was aware I wanted to start small, so I only made this one little area sort of available at a time. And I sort of built out from there. Um, when I was a kid, I really liked drawing maps and stuff, though. So I did draw a whole continent map. But you don't have to do that. <laughs> it's just something I enjoyed. And then 
I sort of gave the map to my players and was like, all right, pick where you're from. This is sort of where all the different uh, races tend to live, but they can live anywhere. So just pick whatever and then we'll go from there. And then they all did that. And then based on what they picked, I sort of fleshed out their, those areas a little bit more. And then I just fleshed out the area that our story started um, by, you know, making a town and making a big city, but then starting in the town. So you don't have to make the big city right away. So you just sort of build up as you go, build a little bit as a time. You don't need to totally build everything right off the bat. Yeah. Um, I've gotten looser and looser in all of my planning over the years. A lot of it now is like two days before the game, I'm like, oh, crumbs, I don't have anything planned. What am I going to do? <laughs> what did we do last game? Okay, where can I go from here? Um, I think a lot of it now from when I'm planning is what will make the players happy. It's less so, because I don't really think of it as my game anymore. It's kind of, it's their game that I'm kind of puppeteering. So I like thinking about um, when I'm building the world, it's kind of big, broad strokes. So kind of for Morgan's game, um, I wanted to do something a lot different than like a medieval kind of European forest. I thought, oh, well, what if we go to like a desert and there's like an ocean of sand and kind of like drawing a little bit from Dune and a couple other like sort of Star Wars-y things and just sort of like pulling ideas here and there. So I kind of came up with like one main central tension and then kind of built out from there. And then whenever they do stuff in the game, some stuff's not even planned. Like at one point they, uh, they saved this um, kid from being persecuted by these guards. He was going to get blamed for a bunch of things happening in the town and they really took to him. So like this whole side story started developing from him. So I think just kind of, I pick up what they want to do and kind of build from there. I don't know. I, I, again, I feel like that's kind of broad, but um, it's a lot of just what what could be fun in the moment. Yeah, you're me. not writing a story. You don't have to plan out all the plot points of your entire adventure ahead of time. And you're not writing a module, so you can just take inspiration from the players. And of course, they're going to mess up what you had planned anyway, so just don't plan, and then it's fine, because <laughs> then they have nothing to mess up. That's what I did in my first campaign was I had planned out like a whole <laughs> sequence of events and I had like um, ways that if the party decided they were going to go and explore this area over here that like they could go and explore that but I would like have a bunch of hooks they would lead them mm -hmm. back onto the main path but mm -hmm. I had planned it way too far in advance and I think that was part of what contributed to my burnout was I was every time that I sat down to plan a session um a lot of my planning was like, okay, how does this advance towards this end goal? Um, there was also the fact that we moved from playing around a table to playing online, and I spent way too much time trying to make maps. Mm. Um, because the thing that I found for myself was like playing around a table, you know, 10 minutes with a piece of graph paper, I've got a map. Playing online, it's like, I am not an artist, this is going to take a while. <laughs> um, but yeah, the idea of just like sitting down, like, couple days before you play like that's how I'm doing it now for the campaign I'm running and it's a lot more fun because I, I'm also limiting myself I'm not trying to figure out what's happening this session and the session after and the session after that it's just okay they said they're gonna head over this way okay I'm gonna come up with an encounter for this set of ruins and something that'll happen on along the way and here's a story beat that I'd like to try and hit and usually what ends up happening is like I'm just spending more time improving during the session, playing off what they're doing, what they're saying. They'll come up with an idea and I'll be like, yes, I'm going to take that and put that in my pocket for next session. <laughs> for uh, sure. But yeah. I think um, something that helps, instead of planning 
um, story points and or like adventure points, plot points is just planning characters and NPCs that they can interact with. If you have an idea of what the NPC is going to act like, then you can just improv whatever happens because they'll act in character. You don't have to plan like, oh, exactly this is going to happen. These guards are going to come in and arrest this guy and drag him away because I realized quite quickly after DMing that you can't just like make a cutscene like a video game because the players can just jump in whenever they want. It's not like you can prevent them from doing that. So I, uh, a game I recently DM'd, there was this guy who um, owed a bunch of money to these um, loan sharks and they'd come to collect and I was going to have him escape. But then the bard just cast Charm Person on him, so he didn't want to escape anymore. They, he like wanted to stick with the party. And I was like, oh, well, I guess this is going in a very different direction than I intended, but it was a lot of fun. So that's what the game is about. Something that I'm I'm curious about is I'm kind of a big fan of like the big epic set piece moments, you know, mm-hmm. like um, huge spoiler for Critical Role if you haven't seen all of the first season. But uh, the moment when the dragons attack like that to me was such a powerful moment. Mm-hmm. And I tried to like that was part of the reason that I spent so much time plotting out the the my first campaign was I wanted there to be like a couple of smaller moments leading up to a big like oh my god moment and i managed to get there and the players thought it was awesome but like it was not worth all the effort that i put into it <laughs> so something that i'm curious about and i guess this is a question for all three of you is when you're doing this kind of more improvisational world building how do you lead towards those kind of big epic moments um for me uh i I, I've started adopting it more recently as I have kind of like a jot note system of like what is currently happening in this area. So if they're kind of in and around it, I can kind of slowly pepper it in. Um, for big moments, I think something I... That does, I find, take just a little bit more planning than just improv, but it's not kind of out of the blue and it's not like super planned out. It's just kind of like, oh, this is beginning to happen. Could I use this now? I thought of this. Okay, I'm just going to toss it in there. Um kind of an example one of the things is they had this giant ballroom uh fight scene where all sorts of things were going down and they split the party and one of the players ended up taking a potion of recall and totally disappeared and they were completely blown out of the water by it and then their sandworm egg hatched and all sorts of shenanigans were just going on (laughs) and um it all just kind of played out really organically but when i found when i knew that they were going to be joining like this ballroom kind of the game during the game before I was like, okay, this could be the moment to do, like, a big thing. So it's just kind of, like, judging the atmosphere of the room and then maybe not doing it that session, but planning for the next session to have, like, a big bang or something happen. It's kind of mm-hmm. how I go through things. So you created what, what you might call a ballroom blitz? We yeah. played that song during the fight. Yep. It was great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, to add on to that, I think if you want to have something happen, you can pepper in just a little bit of foreshadowing or, like, a hint. Like, if you... I think, because is the thing you're talking about where the real prince is revealed and comes out of the gemstone? Yeah, all that does. Yeah, so (laughs) you showed us the gemstone and the knife way, way earlier, and then we just, like, forgot about it, but then we had it with us the whole time, and then after the whole fight scene, the this, like, prince just came out of the knife because he was hiding in there. (laughs) So I hadn't even planned that originally, kind of peeked behind the curtain on that. It was just kind of... I gave you didn't the, plan everything for me. So <laughs> I had given their their little paladin 
learning palette and character, uh, uh, like a fancy bejeweled knife. And I thought, oh, I, I want to do something cool with this later. And then it just so happened, like, I needed to kind of insert this other NPC. And I thought, oh, this could be a really neat moment for, like, something to happen. Like, the, MP- the, the guy that gave him the knife comes over and shatters the gem and the prince appears. And it just kind of, the way it all happened, it was definitely not planned. It just organically sort of shaped its way in, so... It's it's funny because it's actually something that I'm doing with the uh, when I'm doing a session planning I'll plan out like okay if they go here here's a magic item or uh, some resources that they'll find but one of the things that I'm really enjoying doing is um, one of the sites one of the tools that I really like is a site called donjon.sh or something I can't remember the URL because it's real weird but one of the things in there is a trinket generator and so it'll give you something like uh you know a dull knife with a pearl in the handle or a strange wooden carving or like like all these things that have no game effects but they're just kind of like you can just pepper it into the the loot you give out Mm. and i have really been enjoying seeing the players pick up something and be like i wonder what this is and like them like brainstorming like what could this be it's like I literally threw that in there just to see what you would say it could be. Are you doing the thing where you're secretly taking notes as to what they're saying? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I do that a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess to answer your, your earlier question, Sean, about how like I approach kind of specific events. So um, in the current game I'm running, because I'm uh, very specifically structuring it after a JRPG, I kind of have uh, the bonus of I can design an entire dungeon. And because we only have three-hour sessions, I know it's going to take weeks and weeks and weeks for us to get through it. So I design the dungeon, and that's like that's the bulk of the work, and I can do it more or less all at once. And then everything else is reactions to what my players do. I might have specific plot moments I want to hit, and I just kind of plan out what the moment is and wait and bide my time mm-hmm. and wait for them to hit a good moment for it. Something that I'm curious about is because you said you styled it after a JRPG, is one of your players the secret evil but not secretly evil character who's going to betray them all? Um, no, because that would require too much coordination with a with, <laughs> with a player. And, like, it's just, you know, we all have day jobs. <laughs> um, but, like, for, for example, I had this thing I was setting, I set up where... Um, so my game kind of takes place in two discrete worlds, and I'm setting it up so the kind of alternate dimension is starting to bleed a bit into the, the real world one. Um, so I had this thing where all my players are playing high school students. Um, one of them found out that their locker had been messed up, messed with, and they were like, oh, well, obviously, it's like the popular mean girl in school, and she's like trying to mess with me, and like we're going to set up a camera, which is not a thing I expected. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay, okay. So I know what to do with this. Uh, she's going to get a video and the specific thing's going to happen. And I'm going to wait like weeks until she's like half forgotten about it. And then it's going to happen. And it's going to be like, kind of like a frightening in character moment. And then they were doing this thing where they were, they had a study group. I think they decided. a lot of, a lot of the RP in my game is like high school student shenanigans <laughs> but they were all like studying together and they started talking about oh maybe this bleed through thing could happen and i was like well obviously i have to spring it now i was gonna wait weeks but this is the perfect like dramatic irony mm-hmm. moment to just be like oh the sensor goes off <laughs> whoever whoever's been messing with your locker is doing it it's weird the video is not showing anything then they went to this high school and investigated and the big bad was there rummaging through one of their lockers because <laughs> This game is weird and hard to explain sometimes. <laughs> it um, sounds like such a great moment. <laughs> yes, and it was. And they were like like in character legitimately like, oh shit, because they don't they don't have any of their special powers. They're like regular baseline humans. So they like 
it was a bunch of them running through the high school trying to get away from this thing. <laughs> I think it's one of the things that I find kind of hilarious about D&D, but most role-playing games, is that trying to explain a really awesome moment at your table sounds like you're trying to explain a dream to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so particular to the way that your campaign and, like, all the things that have come before, and it's like, everybody at your table is like, oh my god, that was amazing! But you try to explain it, you're like, oh wait, I have to tell them about this thing that happened in the last session, mm-hmm. but to explain that, I have to explain something that happened in the session before that. Just... Oh my god. <laughs> oh, another thing about starting to DM, you don't have to role play. I think yeah. I think that's a big one that people kind of the expectations again are like sky high. It's like you have to get in character and you know, do the voice and really do all the stuff and you really don't have to. You don't have to you don't have to role play. I think one of the rules I I like to use when I use um, when I play with brand new people that I've never played before, I'm like, "What is your comfort what, what comfort level do you have with improv?" And then kind of going from there. So, like, I'll maybe, like, role play to them and they look at me like deer in headlights and I kind of go, okay, well, tell me what your character would do. Or just explain it. Like, you don't have to be them. You can just tell me. So I think that is another important thing to kind of make sure is on the table is make sure everyone's comfortable with the level of role play and know that you don't have to role play. Yeah, I think it's really important for DMs to know that too. Like, Mm -hmm. sometimes you can just narrate how the NPC describes or, like, responds. So... Uh, like I mentioned that there's kind of like the popular mean girl in the school. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to role play that. <laughs> I have never been that like malicious. Mm-hmm. Um, so when she turned around and was being mean to them and then two of the players turned around and were immediately like meaner to her and I didn't know how to roll like role play it. I, you know, I had to kind of take a, st- uh, a step back and be like, you know what? No, I can just, I can tell my players I don't know how to role play it and just narrate it through and they'll be fine with that and I'll be fine with that and we can move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's, like we were talking about Matt Mercer before, like some people see those videos and they're like, oh my God, I have to have a voice for all my characters. I have to have a personality for all those. Like, no, like maybe there might be one NPC that you give a voice to if you even want to do a voice. There might be one or two that you have a personality for, but you don't have to have a voice for every shopkeep. Like you can just, mm-hmm. like if they go into a shop, you can just be like, yes, the shopkeep tells you what they've got available. Mm-hmm. Uh, this I want to address. I made a mistake today. I, I re- I'm also running a separate game of Dragon Heist, which is only like every month or so. And I was like, oh, they're going to like plan the opening of their tavern and there's going to be a bunch of role play. And then it occurred to me, I'm like, I need to role play all of the NPCs. <laughs> I made my players actually make up some to role play themselves between each other. But it was I had this bit where I was like, okay, yeah, Octavius, this one character, you're going to go to all the nearby shops and like invite them. And he walks in, and I was like, I, I I started just doing voices for all the characters, and either they started to blend in, or, like, we just broke down laughing, because, like, I am not really a person who can make fake voices up super well. Um, it also destroyed my throat a little oh, bit. No. I was like, this was a mistake. Why am I doing this to myself? It's always funny when you accidentally realize that you've sort of written yourself into having to act out a dramatic moment between two NPCs and the players are just watching because you're talking to yourself yeah (laughs) (laughs) so you don't like you don't have to act it out um you can just sort of describe what happens if you don't feel comfortable doing that but yeah instead of having a 20 minute I'm talking to myself moment and just say and they argued for a while yeah Yeah, I feel like a weirdo when I just sit there and role play with myself for a long period of time (laughs) I have a game coming up that we haven't played yet, but I know the players are going to make me have two NPCs confess their feelings for each other. 
So I'm trying to work myself up for that. <laughs> oh, and they do that too. They they purposely. I've had you guys have done it to me yeah. before. We're like you've you've set it up so that I have to talk to myself because I like watching like just it's the, so fun. The moment of when you're not the DM. <laughs> See, this this is why I put my current campaign on an island where the only other people are bad guys. <laughs> nice. Yeah, or I bugs. Two of my key NPCs now are like uh, a weird a married couple where like. One of them is a, like a robotic huntress and the other is like a living shadow. And every once in a while I'm like, oh, right, they have to role play with each other. Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> From my most recent session, trying to role play a one intelligence bug. That was fun. That does sound fun. <laughs> um, um, but anyways. I, I want to make a quick point because like we we're talking about like, you don't have to do voices. You don't have to do all, all this world building stuff. I also want to make it clear to the listeners that if you like doing that stuff, you absolutely should. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. There's just... some games where like, I just want to get right into it, and I've got all these things in my head, and I just go for it. So like, you don't have to, but you can. It's whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, like we were talking earlier about the critical role Matthew Mercer effect where you feel like, oh, I have to do all this. Well, you can just pick and choose what you like and then try and do that. Yeah. Like, so if you see Critical Role and you're like, oh, I really like how all of these voices, it really adds to the world building. Well, you can just focus on doing the voice and then, you know, you don't have to do all the other aspects of Critical Role as well, like having the giant world and having all the different factions fighting and interplaying with each other. And one of the things that I found, like, I did all the world building because I really enjoyed it. I really wanted to, like, create this history and this pantheon of gods and all of this all of this stuff. I wanted to get it out onto paper, even if my players don't see 99% of it. But what I found was I was able to turn that into a strength because I've now got this huge base of stuff that I, I know how this world works. So if they decide that they're going to go left instead of right, I know what's there. Mm -hmm. I know how this world works. I know how people will react when the players want to do a certain thing or if they want to, if they if I want to, if I need to make up some lore on the spot, I know how to do that. It just fits right into everything I've done so far. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the case for anything. Like if you want to do voices, then turn that into a strength and like figure out a way that you can have like, you know, the bad guy be memorable or, you know, the really important NBCs be fun to talk to kind of thing. You know, whatever it is that you're excited about to be a to do when you're DMing, like figure out a way to make that into a strength that makes your game your game and really awesome. Yeah. And if you don't have mm -hmm. the energy to do things like voices, you can do other things. Like I introduced a character who has an eye patch in the game and I put my hand over my eye the whole time I talk as her. <laughs> um, or I have another character who is like a sentient uh, octopus who's also a shopkeep. So I always just make sure to wave my arms around. Like you can do stuff like that if you, you know, if you don't want to do a voice. And also you don't have to do stuff like that if you don't want to. We went whole hog. Uh, a couple months ago, my boyfriend and I, and uh, we made a Muppet for one of our games, like oh, a full-on, like, articulated Muppet, and his name was Captain Beesbo, and uh, he started as an April Fool's joke between the two of us, and it just evolved, so, like, if you've got crazy ideas, and you feel like you've got the confidence to go with them, just go whole hog. <laughs> yeah. So, um, thank you two so much. I think we're coming to the end of our time. Yep. Yeah. Um, so... Oh, right. I forgot to tell you about this ahead of time. I'm so sorry. Um, we have kind of a traditional end of interview question we ask our guests, which is if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice before you started DMing, uh, what would that be? Uh, You've been telling the guests about our secret question? It's not supposed to be a secret question. <laughs> I just keep forgetting to tell our guests, which is why it seems like a secret question. <laughs> We're professionals. <laughs> um, 
if I could go back in time before I started DMing and to convince myself, I'd say do it because it will help your confidence. I used to be a lot more shy and a lot more afraid of approaching people and honestly DMing has helped me come out of my shell so much and I think that's one of the selling points I try to like hammer in too is it will help you be more confident and to just, just do it. So. You're on a podcast now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I would never have imagined this way back when I started DMing, yeah. so... I actually found the same thing about uh, more for me, more for being a player and like actively playing. It made me more, um, uh, I made decisions faster and like I gained leadership skills from doing this because, you know, sometimes you have to play a character who's the one who takes command. Otherwise, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. If I'm ever really freaked out, I'll always just tell myself, like, put the DM hat on again and just kind of get through the situation with that confidence. It's kind of, it's silly, but it's one of those things if I'm really having anxiety about an issue, it's just, just, just do it kind of yeah, thing. So. I don't think it's silly. I think that's, that's a, <laughs> really good way to approach stuff um or good hmm i think the way that i started dming was the right way for me so i don't know if i would do anything differently <laughs> yeah. yeah just the more you do it the better you get the more practice you get the easier it is and then i mean yeah it is kind of scary when you start so totally just jump in and do it and then it won't be as scary anymore also excellent <laughs> advice <laughs> thank you too so much for coming thank on the you. show thanks for having us um where could people find you online uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I've, I just, I'm not that online these days, but if you want to say hi, uh, just at my name at Morgan Chandro is where you find me. And, right. yeah. Just Twitter for me, uh, that frazzled fox is where I usually hang out. So, All right. <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. yeah thank you. And, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Yep. Okay. Bye. Cool. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to DMs of Vancouver. We acknowledge that the land we live, work, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that fact, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. We are a part of the Cave Goblin Network. To check out other shows on the network, please visit cavegoblins.com. You can support the show and the network by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. You can also support the show by leaving us a review on iTunes or talking about the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver, at Jesse Boros, and at Sean P. Hagen. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. See more of her work at HaleyBoros.com. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Find his work at Acompetech.com. I was told that once, Frost Cricket was a humble prefect of the Celestial City. But when Wanderlust whispered her name, she left to travel the Earth on foot. Her journeys inspired many stories, and those stories inspired other stories. Some idiot wrote them all down, and ever since, fools have been telling and retelling the tales of Frost Cricket. Hear them all on the Cave Goblin. I'm Piers Ray. Sitting with me is Eric Ivanovich. My name is Eric Ivanovich. We're the hosts of Podcast vs. Podcast right here on the Cave Goblin Network. This is the only podcast pitching show on the internet. Tune in, find out if we can ever find the perfect podcast, or more importantly, can we agree on it? This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.